We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, what is going on, everybody? How you doing? Welcome to a bonus episode, Talking Buffalo Podcast, where we often highlight but are not limited to Buffalo sports, news, media, and entertainment. I am your host, Patrick Moran. You can find me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. Thank you so much for locking in today. So, like I said, this is a bonus episode and we are debuting something brand new here that we're going to kind of test drive every Thursday for a little bit, so to speak. Uh, This is going to be a weekly episode where you, the listener, you for the most part are taking control of the content of this episode I'm going to use your questions. I'm going to use some of your takes on this podcast uh, every Thursday. And of course, they could be about anything, whether that's Buffalo sports or or sports in general, pop culture, life, politics, what the hell ever, man. Everything is going to be on the table uh, for this Thursday episode. I'll sprinkle in some stuff here and there as well. A couple fun facts, maybe a, a power ranking listing or two. I'm going to highlight a terrible tweet or two that I see on the internet, stuff like that. And we're I'll tell you what. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to call this a pod mix every Thursday. And granted, look, I know that ain't the sexiest, uh, most creative name ever, pod mix. Sounds kind of generic, but tough shit, right? Because it's a mix of all the stuff that I just talked about. Questions, comments, polls, tweets, uh, all kinds of stuff like that. And maybe I'll tell a story or two if uh, if, if I think it fits the narrative of what we're doing on that day. But anyway, it's a pretty simple concept, right? And so there's many ways that you could send your questions or your comments for the show. You could do that on social media. Uh, you could go to my Twitter page, at Pat Moran Tweets. And I just call it a Twitter page. I did. Go to my Twitter. 
at Pepperman tweets. You could tweet at me or for whatever reason, if you don't want it out there for everyone else to see, you can always slide into my DMs and uh, do it that way. I keep my DMs open. Uh, you can also go to the Talking Buffalo podcast page on Facebook, which by the way, I bet most of you don't even know that we have a Talking Podcast uh, or Talking Buffalo podcast page on Facebook, but we do. Go on there, submit a question in the comments, or again, if you don't want to put your shit out there in public, send it to me on uh, Facebook Messenger. Or last but not least, you can also email your question or your comment or whatever to Talking Buffalo Podcast at gmail.com. I got a couple of those as well. And like I said, we'll test drive this for a little while. Uh, we'll see how it goes. That's kind of the thing about podcasting, folks. You can't be afraid to, to try new things. Some work, some don't. If this goes over well, and if I feel like people are into it and people are interacting and the interactions are good, I'll do this for a long time. If not, well, guess what? I'll scrape the shit and I'll find uh, something different to do again. That's what podcasting is, a little bit of trial, a little bit of error. And one other thing too. So a lot of the questions, especially Bill's stuff, I know primarily as much as I want it to be about a lot of things, I know primarily this will always be a Buffalo Bills podcast. Yeah, do I have the insight that a Joe Marino or that a Bruce Nolan does? Nah, I don't. Well, I got some thoughts, I got some opinions. And one thing from an indulgent point of view that I really like about this Thursday episode, this pod mix, is that I'll get to express my views and my takes a little bit more than opposed to when I have guests on every Tuesday and every Friday, where it's more or less me asking the questions and getting their opinions and their takes. So selfishly, this is going to be a little bit uh, on the fun side for me too. And again, concept pretty self-explanatory, right? I don't plan on making these one last thing too. I don't plan on making these like really long, so to speak. Like these aren't going to be no 75 minute, no 90 minute episodes. So uh, on that note, I'll tell you what, let's just dive into today's batch. Like I said, I did put this out a couple of days ago, got a handful of tweets and a couple of emails. Let's start. First question, Chris Depot. He wants to know, can Josh Allen sustain his level of play? It's a fair question. Uh, the, the quick answer is, I think so. But to sustain his level of play, that don't take it for granted. That's a big ask. Your boy was second in MVP voting last year, right? It doesn't get much better than that. And if by sustaining his level of play, you're talking about him playing at a top MVP caliber level, it's a big ask. I would say it would be too big of an ask to, to suggest improvement on last year. But I think it's a fair expectation that he could sustain his level of play based on his age, based on his system that he's in based on his personal and uh, team growth over the last few years. Again, you look at last year's stats, uh, over 4,500 yards passing, uh, 37 TDs passing, 45 total TDs if you had the rushing, just 10 picks. That's not easy to repeat, but it's sustainable. Sure. I think the hardest thing to be sustainable about Josh Allen's play is going to be the passing accuracy. Dude was never an accurate quarterback. Not even in college, forget about the pros, but he has steadily improved each year. And then last year, he completed 69.2% of his passes, man. That to me is going to be the hardest thing to sustain. And when you talk about sustain it, again, it's where is Josh Allen at and what's he going to be? Has he reached that 
Patrick Mahomes level, that Aaron Rodgers level of football, or Deshaun Watson, God knows if he's going to even play again, but whatever. I mean, on the field, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Has Josh Allen reached that? Is he that now going forward? Or is he a guy like, and I'm not talking about the style, I'm talking about the success, the success only. Is he Jared Goff, where one year Jared Goff was an MVP caliber player. He was a world beater. And then he kind of regressed. Not just his fault, but he clearly regressed. He wasn't the same player, right? That's fair. I don't think he's that, by the way. I don't think he's Jared Goff. I think he's here to stay. I think, if nothing else, Josh Allen has definitely proven that he's the Buffalo Bills franchise guy. Like, there ain't no more freaking questions at quarterback when it comes to Buffalo. Josh Allen's the guy. He's proven that. I think he proved that. In fact, last year, I think he proved that. I think he proved that two years ago in 2019. So those questions are gone. But to say, can he sustain his level of play? Well, yes, he can. But having the ability to do it and going out and doing it are, uh, they're two different things, man. And he needs to go out and have another great year in 2021. Not necessarily. 45 touchdowns, 4,500 yards passing in a 70% completion percentage, although that would be nice. He doesn't necessarily need to repeat that. He doesn't need to replicate last year, but he needs to come close. He needs to come close. If he's going to sustain his level of play, Kenny, yes. Yes, he can. Good question. All right, moving on. Life with Mikey wants to know, does Josh Allen get a deal done before? during or as camp breaks another good question i don't know i could see it happening any scenario one thing we know is this all right i don't think either side's worried about it josh allen's about to be a very rich dude man your boy's about to make north of 40 million dollars per year does he sign that extension now does he sign it in july does he sign it in september or at the end of next season I don't know. I don't think any scenario would surprise me. I don't think they're locked into any one thing. I think the important thing is that the Bills know it's coming and that they've planned accordingly. I think they plan accordingly by their activity in the offseason. Um, unrestricted free agency. They've signed the punter for three years. Every, and I mean literally every other free agent signee has been a one-year deal. That in part to me is because of the money that Josh Allen is going to command as he hits uh, the most expensive part of his contract over the next couple years after he signs. I also think that played a significant role in the Bills draft this past uh, month too. Sure, defensive end is a need, both now and especially for the future. And you could argue that offensive tackle eventually would be a need, but it's certainly not now. But what did the Bills do with the draft? Their first two picks, defensive ends. Their next two picks, offensive tackles. Premium positions, premium pay, right? When you take Mario Addison, you take Jerry Hughes. You look at their cap numbers this year. $17.5 million those two guys are making in 2021. $17.5 million. Translation, you're seeing the last of Jerry Hughes and especially Mario Addison in a Buffalo Bills uniform this year. They don't have to do anything this year. Because even if Josh Allen signs tomorrow, the money won't really affect anything they do until a year or two when the big money kicks in of that contract. But anyway, Gregory Rizzo, 
Carlos Basham, their football moves are football selections with the draft, but don't think for two seconds that the contract situation, the cap, didn't have a lot to do with them going back-to-back defensive ends. There's no question about it. Those guys hopefully contribute some this year, but I think it's 2022 and beyond where I think you're, you expect and hope to, to feel their true impact. But anyway, you add up the two rookies and A.J. Epinesa, who's going in the year two, all three of those guys. And um, Rizzo has not officially signed yet, but we get an idea based on cap structure of around what his contract's going to look like. Those three guys combined are going to make about $7.5 million roughly in 2022 against a cap. Whereas again, Hughes and Addison are making more than double that, just them two this year. You're going to see a change. Spencer Brown, the third round pick, right tackle, swing tackle, hopefully. The Bills are set at tackle right now. Dawkins and Darrell Williams, who had a fantastic year. They rewarded him a three-year deal. But guess what? In 2022, or at worst, 2023, Spencer Brown's ready. Say goodbye to Darrell Williams. Say goodbye to Darrell Williams. And it's not going to be because of his play. Hopefully not anyway. I'm talking about because of his contract. The Bills are going to cut corners and have affordable labor to help with the uh, addition of Josh Allen's incoming monster contract. So the Bills already are preparing. That's what I'm getting at, folks. The Bills already are preparing for life with a Josh Allen making $40 million or more contract. Okay, $40 million annually, obviously, I'm talking about here. When does it get done? I don't know. If I had to guess, and this is just a guess, I would say right before the season starts. That's my guess. And again, only a guess. All right, moving on. Maddie Wren on Twitter, which by the way, I, I, I think the first, I didn't write down if they're from Facebook, Twitter, or email, but I'm pretty sure. In fact, I know Maddie. This is a Twitter one. Will pack stadiums and elite expectations have any effect on Josh Allen? That's a Buffalo Bills burning question that Maddie submitted. And I think it's a great question. A great question because we don't know for sure because we haven't really seen elite Josh Allen with fans, at least significant fans. Uh, the Bills did have very limited capacity against Indy and Baltimore in the playoffs last year. I think it was, what, 6,500 or 7,000, something like that. Fans were allowed. Not a lot to go off of with him being elite. But I don't know the answer to the question. Will pack stadiums have an effect on him? I don't see any reason why it would have a negative effect on him. I think Josh Allen's more of a physical beast, a physical specimen, more than he is kind of like this cerebral Joe Montana or Tom Brady type player. I would think of anything, the high energy of crowds, uh, everyone hyped, partying, that, that kind of vibe, that kind of atmosphere. I kind of feel like that plays well into him. That's his vibe. That's his personality. He's hyped on the football field. So I think the Pack Stadium, I, I think of anything that's going to help him, maybe even give him more energy, so to speak. Um, will elite, elite expectations have any effect on Josh Allen? I think that's a great question. Last year at this time, we were talking, is Josh Allen the franchise quarterback? The year three is when we need to know. He was kind of shitty as a rookie. He was pretty good in his second year, led the Bills to the playoffs, but certainly had his warts. So there were a lot of questions going into the last year, and he obviously answered all of them. This year, for the first time, he's going in the summer in the camp with elite expectations. He earned them, he, he played well, and he deserves them. In terms of having any effect on him, I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I think he's mature enough. I, I think he's uh, 
hungry enough. I think he's a hard worker enough on and off the field. I think he's got the right character, the right mindset to carry heavy burdens on his shoulders. Kind of like, you know, using a, a former great quarterback from Buffalo, Jim Kelly. Jim had no problem shouldering uh, the burden. I feel like Josh Allen's the same type of player. So no, man, I think packed stadiums will have a good effect on Josh, and I don't think elite expectations will have uh, any negative effects. Great question. All right, moving on. Next one, Michael Lisman. This was definitely from Twitter. Will someone at corner step up to be the true CB2 that Trey White needs? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Is that a good answer, folks? I don't know. I'm, I'll tell you this. I'm not 100% sold on Levi Wallace. I think the Bills like Levi Wallace, but I don't know that they love Levi Wallace. And you could say, and I know a lot of people would counter and say, if, if, for anyone who thinks that they don't love him, well, they didn't draft a corner until round six. True. But again, going back to my point that I was just talking about with Josh Allen's contract, I think defensive end and offensive tackle were two premium paid positions where the Bills have guys making good money that they could get cheaper labor on in years two and three of their contract. Whereas the Bills, other than Trey White, of course, don't really have any long-term expensive corners that they'd be looking to move on from in a year or two, such as could happen with Jerry Hughes or with uh, Darrell Williams. So I think that played a large role in that. And I would also say this, for people who think that the Bills necessarily love Levi Wallace, if they love Levi Wallace that much, shouldn't they have re-signed him or made a very strong push to re-sign him before free agency even began? He did test the market, folks. Don't forget about that. And ultimately, he re-signed with the Bills for one year and like $1.75 million. Didn't even get $2 million from the Bills on a one-year deal in free agency after being on the market for a couple days. I know there was interest out there, but it could have been that strong. Boys and girls, your boy signed for $1.75 million for one year. If he was that much of a priority, if the Bills loved him that much, they would have made a bigger push. He would have got a multi-year deal. They would have done something more than what they did. And they certainly wouldn't have let him leave the building and test free agency. Not to say they don't like him. I just don't think that they love him. He's not an elite athlete. He's a decent corner, but not an elite athlete. I consider him along the lines, and I've talked about this on the show multiple times with a lot of different guests. He's a really good floor guy. Like I, I consider John Feliciano the same type of player. You could do a lot worse than Levi Wallace as your starting quarter, just like you could do worse than John Feliciano as your starting right guard. But I don't think you're in love with either of those positions. The cold-hearted fact of the NFL and any roster is this. You got 22 positions out there, offense, defense. You ain't going to have 22 positions where everybody is a strength. You're going to have a couple soft spots on any team. And I think Levi Wallace, CB2, is a soft spot on the Bills. Not to say they can't win with them because they have. That's why I say my floor guy. I think you could do worse than him, but I also think you could do better. And for the record, it is still only May. As of this recording, the Bills, I still think the Bills are going to add a veteran. That has definitely been the, the, the ammo of Sean McDermott since becoming Bills coach. Every year they go out and they get a veteran, at least one. Uh, Josh Norman last year. Kevin Johnson has been here. EJ Gaines has been here twice. Uh, Von, well, Vontae Davis worked out really shitty. But anyway, they signed him. 
You know, they brought it in veterans along the way to, to be CB2 and see if Levi Wallace could claw and scratch his way into a starting job or however it worked out. So I would expect that again. Uh, Steven Nelson and Richard Sherman, as of this recording, are two names still out there. And I know Richard Sherman's the big name, but I like Steven Nelson more. And I had Bruce Nolan on the show just, in fact, Tuesday. He loves Steven Nelson, thinks he's a great fit. Richard Sherman's a, a better Levi Wallace. He's not a great athlete. He's not an elite athlete. Obviously, the guy's a future Hall of Famer. He's also old. And would he be better than Levi Wallace? Sure. But I don't know that the Bills are going to look to sign him. But Steven Nelson would be a great fit. Bruce loves him, thinks he's a great fit. Good athlete. So I, I think the Bills, and by the way, trades are on the table as well, too. I think the Bills are not done at CB2. And again, they concluded stocking up defensive end tackle was more important than CB for now. And contracts that were, in my opinion, the biggest reason why. And I know I haven't even talked about Dane Jackson. I look, I like Dane Jackson. I thought he looked good last year. But let's let him prove something over a sustained amount of time before we go anointing him or even discussing him as a legitimate CB2. I don't know. Will someone step up at corner? That was the question. The answer is, <laughs> I really don't know. All right, moving on. Wild Goose Reddit. Obviously, this is Twitter. Who is our CB2? And can the O-line, which is bringing back all six starters, if you count Ford and Ike Botker as co-starters, plus an infusion of new guys, fix the run, blocking problems that plagued last year? All right, that's a good one. So we already talked about CB2. Uh, the offensive line. Uh, for me, I think it's the biggest question on the Buffalo Bills right now is the running game. I think we know what the passing game is going to be going forward. Pretty confident in that. Uh, the running game needs to be better, but they didn't get any significant parts to new parts to do it. They re they tendered Eichbacher. Like you said, they, they re-signed John Feliciano. They re-signed, uh, Darrell Williams. The entire offensive line is back with the exception of Matt Breida, who could uh, push for playing time, but more likely he's probably TJ Yeldon's like replacement. You got Singletary and Moss again. You basically got the same unit and you want to run the football better. Brandon Bean said in his uh, season-ending press conference, they didn't need to run the ball more. They need to run it more effectively. How do you do that with the same guys? Uh, it's a great question. <laughs> Again, I think this is the single biggest question going into the Buffalo Bills season right now is how do you run the football more effectively with essentially the same guys? Um, I would say that Cody Ford has been hurt a lot. Maybe him being healthy and their left guard from day one might give the offensive line a little more cohesiveness. I know Morrison and Feliciano were both hurt last year. So injuries have some role in it. I think the running backs need to be better. I'm just going to go right there. I was team draft Travis Etienne if he got there to 30. Obviously, it didn't happen and we'll never know. I wish the Bills would have done a little more at running back. I don't know if it's that. I don't even know if it's that I necessarily don't like the Bills running backs, although I like Zach Moss a lot more than Devin Singletary. And I've been pretty vocal about that. I think Sean McDermott probably needs to start trusting his running backs more than he does. I mean, these guys make a mistake and they're out. We saw Singletary, he dropped a screen pass and against the Chiefs, sat the rest of the game. And we saw TJ Yeldon. Uh, I remember the San Francisco game on Monday night. Zach Moss fumbled inside his own 10. I think he got benched the rest of that game. These guys are young. 
And I, I feel like maybe that affects them mentally. They're afraid to make a mistake. So I would put a little bit of the onus, at least on Sean McDermott, to maybe pick your guy and go with them a little bit longer. That bothers me. I don't love the Bills running back, and I don't love the running game. Fortunately, I love Josh Allen in the passing game so much that it may not matter. But I will say this. I do like Zach Moss, and I think him here healthy from day one, year two. I know everyone's thinking, especially looking at photos of Devin Singletary, who bulked up big time this year, and he did get big. Well, I'm like, so? Great for him. But when's the last time, and Bruce talked about this on the show, name me a running back that really bulked up big time in the offseason and came out the next year and was awesome after not being awesome before that. I don't think it makes that big of a difference, folks. I don't. I like Zach Moss. I like Zach Moss. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think he could be a above average number one. I actually like Matt Breida as, as a pass catching uh, speed threat more. And I still, I don't like, <laughs> I'm kind of talking this out like it's a freaking exercise. I'm talking myself out of it again because I'm just not a Devin Singletary guy. But anyway, good question, Bill. The offensive line, the only thing I could say is that maybe having them all healthy, if they could stay healthy, that could be a, the biggest difference. All right, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back. I got a couple more questions for you and then I'll get you out of here. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough, and the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you, so you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, I got a few non-Buffalo Bills things here today. So Austin on Twitter asks, 
Is there any realistic chance the NBA actually comes back to Buffalo? I feel like we could have the market to support it. Ah, Austin. Nobody. No. And look, anyone who follows me on Twitter knows how much I love the NBA. I am an NBA nut, an NBA fanatic. I've said it a billion times. In fact, I'm kind of known for it on Twitter now. I would trade the Buffalo Sabres as well as the Bisons, the Bandits, most wing spots, you name it, sponge candy, Weber's mustard. I would trade all that shit for literally any NBA franchise, an expansion one, an existing one. I would do it in a second because I love the NBA. But financially, Buffalo, the market supporting the third team, just don't see it, Austin. I just don't see it. I think the fan interest would be there. There'd be a lot of fans. There'd be a lot of people talking about on Twitter and social media and reading the newspaper and watching the the TV reports and locked in the WGR and the Buffalo Braves beat podcast or whatever podcast would come because it was an NBA team in town. But I don't think financially it would work. I think it's too small of a market. You can't have three professional sports teams in a market like Buffalo, especially if you can't take full advantage of the regionalization part of it. Because I would say, all right, well, you could pull from Canada, from Ontario, that area. But guess what? The Raptors already are there. So that ain't going to work. You could go to the other side of Ohio and say, well, it would be great if you could have people from Ohio coming over and rooting on a Buffalo franchise and supporting it. Well, you got the Cleveland Cavaliers. You know what I'm saying? So three teams, just you would have, if it was going to work, you'd have to get rid of the Sabres. and, And that's just not. That's not going to happen. Again, being a fan of a team and financially supporting a team are two completely uh, different things. For the record, I saw reports because the NBA is talking about expanding. So it's not like out of nowhere to ask the question, Austin. It is a good question. But from what I've read, it's, it sounds like Seattle and Vegas are the, the best bets for uh, expansion franchises. I don't think Buffalo's in play. I think you'll hear some talk about it from Buffalo fans just because it's a fun topic, but at the end of the day, nah, no shot, my guy, no shot. Um, I got a terrible tweet, so I got this bumper. Here it is. Terrible tweets. Tell me I did not just see that. Every week, at least once or twice uh, on this episode, I'm going to highlight a terrible tweet. This isn't a tweet at me. It's just an awful tweet, a fucking terrible tweet that I point out in a, uh, have a take on. And this week it's from at the FanDuel account at FanDuel who says, and this wasn't a joke. I mean, there was no LOL attached to it or anything. It says, who are you taking in your prime? Tyreek Hill or Randy Moss? And there's a photo of them and it says like for Randy, uh, retweet for Tyreek or some shit like that. Really? You're comparing in their prime Tyreek Hill and Randy Moss right now. Look, I like Tyreek Hill, okay? Let's just put that out there. Dude's 27 years old. Five seasons he's been in the league, all right? Four of them have been good. Three of them have been great. But stop it. Stop it, stop it, stop it. You're talking about Randy Moss, the second best receiver in the history of the National Football League. Any era, ever. Your boy had nine years where he caught at least 10 touchdowns. Tyreek has two. I mean, let's hold off on it. Let, let Tyreek be great for another six, seven years. And then you can ask that question. What a ridiculous, 
ridiculous tweet. If you're, I can only imagine that whoever's running the social media account for FanDuel, he must be under 23, 24 years old, he or she at most. Because anybody with any type of sports mind whatsoever, if you're not a teenager, if you're past college, would never tweet such a stupid, stupid question. Oh, come on, man. Randy Moss in his prime versus Tyreek Hill. Ugh. All right, two more things here, and then we're done for today. Um, this was an email from Brian. This was my favorite question that I got, by the way. Yes, what are your favorite sports eras of any sport? Uh, I'm not quite sure what the wording on that could be a little confusing, but I'm pretty confident he's asking, what are my favorite eras of sport and while naming the sport? At least that's how I interpreted it anyway. And I like this question so much that rather than just kind of go off the top, I actually took the time to write down seven things and I'm going to kind of count backwards from seven to one. These are like my seven favorite eras of, uh, of any sport. Seven, I got the NFL back in the 80s. And for the record, if you don't know, so I was born in the early 70s. So in the 80s, I was a teenager, a young teenager, and by the end of the decade, an old teenager, right? So I basically was a teenager and came of age, so to speak, an adolescent in, uh, in the 80s. But anyway, the NFL in the 80s, man, Joe Montana, John Elway, Dan Marino, of course, Jim Kelly, Warren Moon, some of the greatest quarterbacks ever. So much fun to watch offense of football in, in the 80s. Then you had Walter Payton, who to this day is my second favorite running back of all time behind Barry Sanders. Apologies to my man Thurman Thomas and all the Thurman fans out there. But for me, it's, it's always been Barry Sanders and then Walter Payton. Uh, Lawrence Taylor, one of the greatest football players of all time. He was uh, a stud in the 80s. It was, it was just a lot of fun football in the 80s. So that was seven. Six, the New York Yankees of the late 70s. I was a very young kid, so I shouldn't know shit about the 70s Yankees. However, and I swear to God, this is true. I'll put my hand on a Bible. Even when I was seven, eight years old, I remember I could recite the entire Yankees lineup. I probably couldn't spell my name right. I'm sure I couldn't spell these guys' names right on a sheet of paper, but I promise you, I knew that lineup inside out. And I still do today. Like the back of my hand. Thurman Munson catching. My favorite infield. To this day, still my favorite infield of all time. Chris Chambliss, Willie Randolph, Bucky Dent, Greg Nettles. Loved that infield. Then you had Mick the Quick Rivers and Reggie, of course, and Sweet Lou Pinella in the outfield. Ron Gidger was the ace. Goose Gossage was the closer. Obviously, you could tell I'm a Yankees fan. <laughs> a lifelong Yankees fan here. But that era of Yankees baseball is the first era of sports that I can remember. Not the late 70s Bills or hockey or, or any other thing besides... Uh, Besides Yankees baseball. So that's six, five, boxing from the 1980s. I grew up as a teenager. I wanted to be a boxer. Wasn't really good. Actually, that's not true. I actually could box. I was a decent neighborhood boxer, but I never had any, uh, you know, skill level or, or ambition to be like a professional boxer. I just loved the sport. But anyway, man, obsessed with boxing in the 80s, especially the middleweights. Sugar Ray Leonard, my favorite fighter of all time. Still my favorite fighter of all time. The sweetest boxer I've ever seen in my life. Him, Roberto Duran, man, those wards that those guys had were unbelievable. Marvin Hagler, maybe the greatest of all of them. Although my guy Sugar Ray did beat him. Uh, Thomas Hearns, are you kidding me, man? Hagler Hearns, probably the, the, the best three rounds of boxing 
that I've ever seen in my life and probably most of you have ever seen. So you had Leonard, Duran, Hagler, Hearns, uh, Mike Tyson coming up as a heavyweight in the mid-80s. That was awesome. Larry Holmes, well, he was on his way out by that point, by the later 80s anyway, but he was a dominant force in that decade. Loved boxing uh, in the 80s. So that was five, four, circling back to the New York Yankees, the late 90s, the, the World Series, four World Series champion, four-time champion, New York Yankees in the late 90s. The difference between them and, and the 70s is that I was older. So I was old enough to appreciate them being as good as they were. Derek Jeter, the captain, man. I mean, what, what more can you say? I just, I love the Yankees teams of the 90s. And being older and, you know, able to appreciate it more and party more just made it uh, all the more fun. So that's four. Three, I'm going to go to the NBA in the 90s. That was awesome. Obviously, the Chicago Bulls, loved them or hated them, and I loved them. They were stars. They were must-see TV. You had to watch the Bulls when they were on just because it was just so much fun to watch. But even outside of that, Charles Barkley, Hakeem Olajuwon, probably one of the most, I know he's regarded as one of the best players of all time. To me, he's the best center of all time, so I actually consider him underrated. Uh, David Robinson, Stockton and Malone with Utah. The Knicks, I love the New York Knicks, and I'm so excited, by the way, that they're in the playoffs again. Oh, my God. It's so cool being a lifelong Knicks fan to see them uh, relevant again after being so terrible for the last eight years or so. Anyway, I don't want to get off topic here, but the Knicks in the 90s, man, Ewing and Starks and Allen Houston, they were just, Mark Jackson, they were a great team, a lot of fun to watch. So in the 1990s era of NBA, I got them at three. Number two, sticking with hoops, but actually going to college. The Big East in the 1980s for me was about as good as it gets. It was as good as it gets when it comes to basketball. Man, that whole Big East conference, and I'm by the way, I'm being specific here, Big East hoops. I liked ACC and other conferences, but for me, it was all about the Big East. Every Monday on ESPN, they had double hitters. I watched all of them. I watched pretty much any Big East game I could get my hands on, whether it was a weekday, a weekend in the 80s. Uh, Syracuse, St. John's, Georgetown, those three teams, not to even mention teams like Villanova and Pittsburgh and, and Providence and, and other schools in that conference as well. But those three schools, man, I remember them so well. St. John's with Chris Mullen, who was one of the baddest white boys I could ever remember watching play basketball, man. He was like the, the college basketball version of Larry Bird. So you had Mullen and Walter Berry and Mark Jackson, Bill Wellington, Willie Glass, that starting five for St. John's in the mid-80s, I still remember them to this day. And I hated Georgetown. I think I hated Georgetown because I was just a big fan of St. John's in Syracuse, two New York teams, which made Georgetown the enemy. Man, they were so good. Patrick Ewing, who I hated in college, but obviously would go on the love as a pro because he went to my New York Knicks. Uh, David Wingate and uh, Reggie Williams. Mike Jackson, I, I just I remember those guys so well, man. Uh, but then for me, Syracuse was my favorite team when I was a kid. I think the only reason why they're not now is because every goddamn Buffalo sports media person I know, guy or girl that went to school, news media, sports media, goes to Syracuse. It seems they all do. And they're all Syracuse fans. So I get sick of hearing about them on Twitter and stuff. So I kind of got turned off a little bit by that. But anyway, when I was a kid, man, those mid-80s teams with with Sherman Douglas, Ronnie Cycley, and Derek Coleman, one of my favorite college players ever. They were awesome. A few years before that, Dwayne the Pearl Washington, probably my favorite point guard ever. Uh, he was in the earlier 80s. 
just what a great era of basketball. Big East 1980s. And then number one, pretty obvious here, but late 80s, early 90s NFL for one reason, the Buffalo Bills. I mean, look, that was the Super Bowl era. It was awesome. What a feeling it was to, to have a hometown team to root for where the expectation each year for a good six, seven years was to win the Super Bowl. Of course, they never won one. They did go to four straight. But just younger Bills fans, picture right now going into the season. So you go to the AFC Championship and your expectation this year is probably the Super Bowl. It certainly should be. And if it's not, then why are you rooting for this team, right? Well, imagine that for seven straight years. It was awesome. And I, I hope that younger fans who weren't old enough to be around or be old enough to remember that, I really hope that this is the start of them getting that opportunity because to be able to root for the Bills and to have a team that was that good for that long was just uh, incredible, absolutely incredible. But anyway, Brian, thanks so much for that email, man. You really, really, honest to God, man, took me down a memory lane with that. All right, and on that note, last question here, and this is from uh, Jim on Twitter who says, this is funny. And I encourage, by the way, you want to bust my balls. I'm not one to, uh, I'm not above making fun of my own self. Let's just put it that way. But Jim on Twitter says, why are you so horrible at drafting starting five teams on the podcast? All right. So for people who don't listen, if you listen, hopefully you know what he's talking about. If you don't, every Friday I have casual Friday on this podcast. I had Dale Reed on for like seven straight Fridays. But because of uh, the store opening in his office, the, the showroom store for 26 shirts, he's kind of like on a little bit of a break right now. And I got Joe Yurden coming on every Friday uh, in his place. But anyway, one of the things we do, a, a regular segment is we call it a starting five and we snake draft a roster of five uh, different topics, pop culture stuff. And then I put up a poll on Twitter and fans vote for, uh, for the winner. And we've done a lot of fun topics and almost without fail. Well, actually I did win two of them, but when I lose, I lose spectacularly. Like I get my ass kicked. I get crushed in these polls on Twitter. Um, I got crushed with nineties albums. I got crushed on movie soundtracks. I got crushed on eighties movies. I got crushed on Buffalo pizza places, which by the way, I still contest that. I think that's bullshit. I think Dell won that poll because a couple of the places he selected have stronger social media or Twitter presences and retweeted out, got people to vote for him. But whatever, I digress. Uh, I got my ass kicked in movie villains. And then last week with Joe, I got my ass handed to me in uh, TV shows from the 20th century. So the question is, why am I so horrible? Well, you know what? Screw you, Jim. <laughs> for real though, I think the problem is this, man. I go into the draft and I want to stay true to what I like. And I always end up making like one or two indulgent, like self-indulgent picks that end up costing me big time in the polls. Like for an example, I'll go back to 80s movies and we all know what the most popular ones are. I remember two of the ones I took specifically. One of them was uh, About Last Night, which starred Rob Lowe and, and Demi Moore. And I fucking love that movie. I love that movie. But it wasn't that popular. And a lot of people probably never even heard of the shit. But I love that movie. So I picked it and it hurt me. 
Um, I, I can't even remember one or two of the other ones. I don't know why it suddenly escaped me. It was on my uh, tip of my tongue and now it's gone. But anyway, that's one. And uh, like TV shows, from this, the ones I just did with Joe last week, TV shows from the 20th century. I saw that with Seinfeld, very popular. They won Family Ties. That was pretty popular. But by the end, I remember I picked Welcome Back, Cotter. That's a, I knew that was a TV show that wasn't going to be all that popular. But I loved it. I was too young to really remember it as it happened, but I remember being addicted to it, watching it in syndication. So anyway, my point was, I picked the shit that I stay true to what I like, and I'm just, I guess I'm a pretty cheesy-ass, corny, whack person, because I pick what I like, and it usually one or two of them don't play well with the polls, and it results in me uh, getting my ass whooped. But anyway, I'll try to do better just to, to please you, Jim. But I will say this too, by the way, tomorrow... And it's a good way to end this episode. Uh, tomorrow, Casual Friday, Joe Yernan will be on. And our category is going to be uh, TV show themes. And we both talked. We never tell each other who we're picking. Like, I don't even, he doesn't know who's on my list and vice versa. But we both agreed that our list was huge. So we're going to draft five. And then we'll probably spend a good half hour talking about honorable mention ones that even make the list. Because TV show themes, man, there's so many good ones. But anyway, that'll be tomorrow. And on that note, that is going to do it for this bonus episode, Podmix. Like I said, you kind of got a little bit of a taste for it today. I'm going to, whether it's bills, hopefully there'll be more bills questions, but also some saber stuff, which we didn't, I didn't, well, it's not my fault. It's your fault that I didn't get any, but again, I just put this together over the last few days, but you see how it's going to be going forward. You send me your questions, you send me your takes, and I will read them and I'll reply to them. I'll answer them. I'll add a couple things of my own as well. Um, again, to reiterate one more time, and I'll put this in the show notes as well in case you're not, you know, catching this on the fly here. But catch me on Twitter at Pamoran Tweets. You can either tweet at me or DM me your question or comment. Facebook, I got Talking Buffalo Podcast, uh, the Facebook page, or you can email me at Talking Buffalo Podcast at gmail.com. Any of those ways will work. But anyway, on that note, thank you so much for listening. And again, I will be back. A new episode, Casual Friday, with my man Joe Yurden, tomorrow. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late, and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, and our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com slash Keepstock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.